0: Scripture reading for our lesson this morning will be from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count him but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus.
1: Good morning. hope that you have your Bibles open to the book of Philippians as we have just read from the text that we will be using this morning. hope that you are ready and prepared to be able to study from the Word of God this morning. We are glad that you are here. We are always thankful and grateful for those who are visiting with us. And We have a few in our number this morning that we are especially thankful to have you here. We hope that you are edified and encouraged by our time together spent in worship and fellowship with God. And that is what we're going to be talking about some this morning, the idea of fellowship. That is our theme for the that we have been having several series of lessons on. And so we are going to continue that uh, this morning as we have read from the book of Philippians in chapter 3 that introduces us to the idea of fellowship in the suffering of Jesus, but before we get to that, for uh, in a moment, I want to just bring a couple of items to your attention that uh, I've been needing to announce these things, and I have just been kind of neglectful, and I apologize about that. If I don't write something down then it usually is going to get forgotten when I get up here. So uh, I, I actually, early this week, I typed these things out. I would be sure I brought them up here to read. But uh, tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock, um, and this is something that's going to be kind of an ongoing thing, I'm going to be uh, having sort of a public Bible study. I'm going to just be setting up at a table at Narrow Bread in Derby. I'm going to be using a website called meetup.com. Maybe you're familiar with it, but it, that's really just kind of a, a way to advertise for people who might be interested in having a Bible study, the people who might be interested in talking about the Bible, just a way to kind of make contacts in our local area. And so um, I'm going to be starting that tomorrow. If you are free and able to join, great. We'd love to have you. You can come get a cup of coffee and get a pastry of some sort. Uh, and we can sit and have a Bible study, just talk about the Bible in some way. And what would be better would be if you could bring a friend, uh, someone that you know, that would like to talk about the Bible and learn about it. But uh, that's going to be part of our efforts to preach the gospel and teach others here in our area. And so... Even if you can't come, I know it might be a little short notice, but we're going to be having these studies regularly, uh, at least once a week, at some point during the week is kind of my goal. And so uh, if you are able to to make one of those studies, bring a friend, that would be very encouraging to me. Also, uh, if nothing else, pray for our efforts for that, that there might be people who are needing to hear the gospel and to be introduced to Jesus Christ, that they might actually come and study and learn the truth. And so uh, as as I develop a schedule, I will post it somewhere in the back, that, and I'll have it announced that that schedule is posted so you can see it, so you can be aware that you can come. But... Certainly, at least if nothing else, the first point that I would ask you to is just remember that in in your prayers um, throughout the week and throughout the months ahead. Something else that we're going to be starting this evening is a monthly teen and preteen devotional series uh, of lessons. Um, I think we can all understand and appreciate that our young people are living in challenging times. And we want them to become strong disciples and followers of Jesus. And so through these uh, devotionals, we're going to have uh, Bible studies. We're going to have time spent in prayer and singing and just help them to enjoy each other's company and also engage in some kind of spiritual activity or allow them to ask spiritual questions or things that might be on their minds. And so um, if you don't have children or grandchildren that might be coming. uh, Maybe you want to host that. Uh, There is a sign-up list on the bulletin board with some of the Bible class information if you'd like to host that. If you think it'd be encouraging to see a bunch of teenagers come to your house, that may not be encouraging to you. I don't know. It might be one of those things that gives you a lot of fear. Uh, But I think we have some good kids. So I think would be okay, but if you think it'd be encouraging to see them uh, hear them sing or talk about the Bible, just uh, some of those things, that's going to be starting up tonight. We're going to try to do that every uh, month for the, the school year and so and kind of encourage you to uh, pray for those efforts, uh, pray that they will actually uh, enjoy th- these and benefit from them and that we might have a successful and profitable venture. All right, I made those announcements that I've been neglecting, and I apologize for just now bringing them up, but uh, nevertheless, they have been made. So in the book of Philippians, I think you argue, we oftentimes think about the book of Philippians as being a letter of holy. But I think you could also make the argument that it is a letter about fellowship. And let me make that contention this morning that the book of Philippians is a book about fellowship. Because before you really get into many of the passages, texts that talk about the joy and rejoicing in the Lord, in Philippians chapter 1 and in verse 5, Paul says, In view of your participation, and that word participation is the Greek word koinonia, which we get our English word fellowship. So he opens up this letter in the first five verses and he has already used the word fellowship. Here it's translated participation in the New American Standard Bible. In view of your participation in the Gospel from the first day until now. And if that's not enough to convince you, perhaps verse 7, just a couple of verses later, he uses another form of the word, soon koinonios, in which he is very much related to the word koinonia. And it comes from that. And there at the very end of that verse, at the end of that verse, he says, you are all partakers of grace with me. And so already we have two usages of the word and the idea of fellowship. And they are defined or translated as a participant or as someone who is a partaker. I think if you look at some of the meanings and the definitions of these words, you come away with thinking of someone who is a participant, a partaker, a partner. And that, I believe, is why Paul is addressing the church at Philippi, that he is writing to his partners in the Gospel, that Paul recognizes that he is not preaching alone. He is not preaching by himself. He has those who are working alongside with him. Another passage of Scripture, and as you pick up the bulletin this morning on your way out, I would encourage you to read the article because it's about fellowship. And one of the interesting usages of the word koinonia and fellowship is actually in Luke chapter 5 when... The apostles are working together and Jesus calls them. And Peter and Andrew and James and John, they are called partners together because they're fishing partners. They have a business together. It's the same word, koinonia, for fellowship there. I think that's what Paul is drawing on here as he uses that word, koinonia, that this is about being a partaker and a participant and a partner with the gospel. That Paul is a proclaimer, a preacher, an apostle of the the good news of Jesus Christ. And the church there in Philippi, they have a unique relationship with him, and because of that, they have a relationship with the gospel itself. That's why at the end of chapter 1 in verse 27, Paul would tell them, That they need to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That because they are a partner in the gospel, that means that there are some requirements that they have to live up to. That there is an expectation for how they are supposed to live. As Paul's fellow participants in the gospel, he expects them to live in a way and to conduct themselves in a way that would be in worthiness or in acceptability of the Gospel. And that must be lived out in a demonstrable way. In which Paul talks about, I believe, as you continue on in chapter 2, he talks about what it means to live worthy of the Gospel. He he shows us what that is like. And he first shows us that in verse 1, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, there's that word fellowship again. Are you beginning to see that the word the book of Philippians is about this idea of fellowship and koinonia? Fellowship of the Spirit. And he goes on to talk about how we must have the same mind and then be united in spirit and purpose and the same love. And that we should do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. That if we're going to live out the Gospel, how do we live that out? How do people see the Gospel in us? Well, first, it's going to come through having unity in the body of Christ, in the church, through the fellowship of the Spirit. That's how we are going to have a way to visibly and to demonstrate our commitment to living out the Gospel. That's how we are going to walk in a way that's worthy of the gospel. But then also, as Paul would tell us in verse 5 of chapter 2, have this attitude or have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We have to have the mind of Christ, which thankfully Paul tells us what the mind of Christ is. And this becomes extremely important for setting everything up in chapter 3. This becomes extremely important. The mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Well, it's the story of the Gospel. And the way I would describe this is the story of the Gospel is in a V-shaped pattern. That Jesus, as He existed in the form of God, as Paul would describe in chapter 2 and verse 6, he would humble himself and he would take on the form of a man. He would take on the form and the role of a servant. The one who is in the form of God humbled himself and lowered himself to eventually go to the cross and to die. But then, that's the lower part of that V. Then you have on the second half the upward trajectory that Jesus went on in verse 9 when Paul would say, For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." You see both halves. You see the downward trajectory that Jesus was in the form of God, but He humbled Himself. He did not think more highly of Himself. He thought of others first. And then because of His faithfulness to God, because of His commitment to being obedient to His Father, He was exalted. He was raised and He was exalted to sit at the right hand of God, the upward trajectory. If you want to describe the Gospel in short form, that's how you describe the Gospel. It's the the essence of the story of Jesus, that Jesus went to the cross, and He died for us, and He also was exalted, and that He has become our King. That is the story in which Paul is saying, That I am a preacher of. I am an apostle of that story right there of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the story in which you are a partner in. That you have fellowship with that idea. You can continue on reading in chapter 3. Paul talked about himself in a lot of detail actually about how he was someone who had great confidence in the flesh before his conversion to Jesus Christ that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was circumcised. He was zealous. He was zealous to the point that he would be a persecutor of the church. And according to the law and the righteousness that uh, which is in the law, he said that he was blameless. That he kept the law. Paul then says, all of that I have counted as loss. I have given it up. I count it as nothing, he says. Because, in verse 8, more than that I count all things to be loss and view the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. I think even here as Paul, you see that downward slope that he is on, that I have given it all up. Where is he when he is writing the book of Philippians? He's in prison. And then he's saying, now that I can gain Christ, you see the downward and the upward slope. It's the V-shaped pattern that Paul is living out. But also... Extremely important for us is to notice verse 10 where Paul says that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. We are called to participate in the story of the gospel. The story of Christ. That's why many of the songs that we sing this morning had to deal with the suffering of Jesus. Going to the cross. Footsteps of Jesus. We're we're committed to following him to that old rugged cross. We think about the way of the cross. And just just two things to us this morning. About what fellowship with Jesus Christ means. It means that we must be committed to following that same V-shaped pattern that even to the cross would go. And then we can have the hope of the glory that is on the other side, just as Jesus and the Apostle Paul lived out. So what does that mean? What is of fellowship in the sufferings of Jesus. What does that mean? What is that going to look like? This is going to be perhaps one of the hardest things for us to learn. I think if we talk about fellowship, fellowship with Jesus, it's going to involve some hard things. That's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. That fellowship with Jesus doesn't mean that we get to walk An easy life. That things are going to come easy and naturally for us. In fact, he's telling us the exact opposite. That being a Christian, having fellowship with Jesus, it means that we are following the way of the cross. That's what fellowship is. It means that we are accepting and choosing the way of the cross the fellowship of His sufferings, it must include the cross because of what Paul in chapter 2. In chapter 2 and verse 8, He found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And if we're going to talk about the sufferings of Jesus. You cannot ignore the cross. And if we are choosing to be a part of the gospel story if we're going to be a partner in the gospel if we are going to be a participant in the grace of Christ 15 and in verse 18 Jesus said that if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you a slave is not greater than his master persecuted me they will also persecute you if they kept my word they will also they will keep yours also jesus warned his disciples that because of their connection with jesus if they were going to kill him then what should they expect what should they begin to Think about what's going to happen to them. We are choosing when we choose to follow Jesus, we are choosing to say, I believe that Jesus Christ, Son of God, and when we are saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, know this that we are choosing to suffer rejection and humiliation with Jesus. That is why, as you think about what Jesus endured, certainly physical pain and hardships. Paul was in prison for the sake of the gospel. We can read in the book of Hebrews. We don't have this morning, but in Hebrews chapter ten, you might want to jot this down and go look at it later. In Hebrews chapter ten and verses thirty-two through thirty-four, while those Christians had not yet been killed, but their to following Christ, they had had their property taken. There are some consequences following Jesus. Loyalty to Christ might mean imprisonment. In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, and verse 10, where we find that wonderful statement, Be faithful until death. What I believe that really means is not that you are just to live your life, the, and while this is a, a true principle. There in particular, he means that you are to live under the threat of death, not just living your life to a ripe old age and be faithful to God and always come to church for the rest of your life. That's not exactly what Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 means. He's trying to get us to see that even under the threat of persecution and death and tribulation and imprisonment, you will be faithful. When we choose to follow Jesus, we are choosing rejection and humiliation and pain, perhaps. But fellowship with Jesus also means that we have to take up our own cross. In Luke, the 14th chapter, Luke chapter 14. And in verse 27, Jesus says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Notice what Jesus says? To be his disciple, follow Jesus, what is required? You have to accept the cross. And in many ways, in our day, in our culture, we make free of the cross, don't we? And that we we have made the, the idea of the cross into something that doesn't seem to bring a lot of shame. In fact, you might see people who put a bumper sticker uh, or something with the cross on there and that it's a, a symbol of pride in, in a lot of ways that I am a Christian because I believe in the cross. But when Jesus said these words, you have to think about The context, the cross was a form of persecution. It was a humiliating death. That excruciating pain. And Jesus says that if you are going to follow Me and become My disciple, you have to take up your cross. You must take up your cross and follow Me. There is no way around following Jesus. There's no way to have fellowship with Jesus that does not involve the cross. The Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew the 16th chapter and in verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The form of death that we are choosing when we take the cross comes in the form of self-denial. It's denying ourselves. It's denying sin. I believe it's the same choice that, as the Hebrew writer would talk about in Hebrews chapter eleven, when he would talk about the faith of Moses, that he's talking about Moses' faith and how, in Hebrews chapter eleven, and verse twenty-five, Moses choosing rather to endure ill treatment. With the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. That's exactly what we're talking about this morning. Following Jesus, denying yourself, taking up your cross, what does that mean? It means that you have to accept the way of the cross, that you have to take up your cross and that you have to deny yourself, and that you have to choose, yes, suffering. You have to be willing to suffer. You have to be willing to give up sin. You have to be willing to turn away from the world and its lures and its temptations. I just find the imagery to be very beautiful in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 6. Whenever you are thinking about joining yourself with Christ and having fellowship with Christ and His death and His resurrection and all those things that we sometimes talk about in Romans chapter 6 when Paul is talking about our baptism. And remember, he's writing to a church of Christians, of people who have already obeyed the gospel of those who have been baptized already. And he wants them to think back on that and reflect back on that. And he does so in a very helpful way in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. He says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? And whenever you are baptized, whenever you are immersed in water, Whenever you do that, you are accepting the way of the cross. You are taking up your cross and you are joining Christ in His death. And so he says, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Fellowship with Jesus means that we have to accept the way of the cross. And it is going to lead to the waters of baptism where we have our sins forgiven. Where we join Jesus in His death. Fellowship with Jesus means we are choosing to follow Him and die to sin. We are choosing life through Jesus But first, we must be willing to suffer and die. Denying ourselves and go to the waters of baptism. Fellowship with Jesus means following the way of the cross. And then, the second thing I want to submit to you this morning about fellowship with Jesus. It means that we have hope of resurrection. Turning back to our text in the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, I want you to notice what Paul says. In Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 10, when he says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Remember the Gospel story is a V-shaped pattern. It doesn't just end the cross, does it? That's the low point in the story. The climax, the high point, is that the exaltation. Jesus was raised from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God. He went to heaven and He was exalted and put in the position as our King, as our Lord, and He was given the name which is above every name. The second half of the V, the upward trajectory, it involves resurrection. The resurrection of the dead. And that the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead becomes the basis of our hope. Notice at the end of chapter 3. Paul says in verse 21, in the very last verses, he is talking about our citizenship, which is in heaven, who, how we are waiting for Jesus. He says in verse 21, that Jesus, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, that Jesus has a glorified body. And after we die, our bodies will be raised from the dead and we will be glorified. That is what he's trying to get us to see. That our body, the body of our humble state, is going to be con- brought into conformity with the body of glory. Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 20. Where the Apostle Paul says in verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. Think about that imagery of firstfruits with me for a moment. We're beginning to start, we're, we're beginning to see harvest time, aren't we? We're coming up on that. And the first fruits is the first of the crop. And if I plant a water seed, I'm going to exp- to get a watermelon, aren't I? If I plant a lot of watermelon seeds, the first fruits might be the what I, what I receive first. The first ones out of the ground and the ones that I would receive later are going to be like the first. It's not going to be something different, is it? It's not like all of a sudden that watermelon seed is going to be uh, a hybrid of corn and, and beans or something like that. It's going to be a watermelon. And so Jesus, He is the first fruits in the way in which He was raised. And I appreciate the fact, as Brother Gary read this morning, that He is not in the tomb. His body was raised and He was not in the tomb. And when Jesus returns, we will be raised. He continues on, Paul does, in First Corinthians 15 and verse 21, For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, he seems to be contemplating on some of the things that we are suffering in this world, things that we endure, the pain, the anguish, the sickness, the illnesses that we go through, the aging of our bodies, the pain that, that brings all of the misery that sometimes that you see in this life and in this world, all of the hardships, all of the tribulation. Paul is reflecting on that at the end of Romans chapter 8 or in the middle of that section, I would, I would say. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That all of this that we are going through, it's nothing. Because we have something so much better on the other side. In which he goes on in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers. The pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, verse 23 with me. And not only this, but also we ourselves having first fruits of the Spirit. There's that imagery of first fruits again. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The redemption of our body. While we may be suffering and groaning, even in this body, even the afflictions that we endure, Jesus certainly understood what it meant to be afflicted. Have his body growth go through excruciating pain. He was raised. He was glorified. He was vindicated in the resurrection. And at the end, when he returns, the resurrection is going to undo all the pain, all the curse, all the suffering that sin has caused and created in this world since Genesis chapter three. And then what Paul is wanting us to see is that. Even though we are choosing even though we are choosing to have fellowship with Jesus and his sufferings, we do so with a reason. We do so looking forward to what is ahead. The resurrection. And that's why Paul is able to use language of pressing on. If there's nothing to look forward to after this life, then why are we suffering? Why would we choose that? He says we choose suffering because we know there's something better on the other side. We know there's something much better. That's why in Philippians chapter 1, when Paul says that You know, for me to live as Christ and to die as Gain, and I don't know which one to choose, he says. He says, I'm hard pressed in both directions. He has the desire to depart and be with Christ for that is very much better, Paul said. He talks about it in chapter 3 and verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's that... Trajectory. And the key to moving on is that you have to forget what's behind. And that doesn't mean forgetting our failures. What does that mean? It means getting best successes. Because it's those successes that might want to tie you down to this world, isn't it? What does Paul say? All the things that he lists there in chapter 3, that he has confidence in the flesh. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. What does Paul say? I counted all of that as nothing. I counted it as dung. He's not talking about his failure. He doesn't talk about when he was persecuting Christians there, does he? As being the low point in his life. He's talking about if someone had some confidence and could say, hey, look at me, it was Paul, And he's saying, I had to lose that. I had to forget that. To be able to move forward, you have to forget your successes. And we have to reach forward to what is ahead. He tells us in verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And so you have to forget and then you have to reach forward. You have to continue on. You have to remember that you are a citizen of of heaven, and that this world is going to try to get you to to lay roots here. It's going to try to get you to keep yourself here, and to concentrate on what you have here, and that it wants you to feel. Satan wants you to feel as if you belong here. But if we are going to maintain our fellowship and continue our fellowship with Jesus and to attain the final resurrection and that heavenly home, then you have to forget you have to reach forward. So what does fellowship mean? What have we learned about fellowship this morning? I would suggest that fellowship is participating with Christ in the Gospel story. We're going to be willing to choose suffering. That we have fellowship in His sufferings. That we're choosing the cross. That we are going to join ourselves with Christ's sufferings at whatever that means. If it means that I'm going to suffer wrong unjustly, then I'm going to suffer wrong unjustly. Jesus didn't deserve death. He didn't deserve the cross. That's the way that I have to go it means being a martyr, then I hope I will have the faith and the commitment and the loyalty to Jesus to do so. Fellowship is following Jesus in the path of the cross. It's discipleship. And fellowship is anticipating our future bodily resurrection and receiving our heavenly reward. Our fellowship with Christ has a downward and an upward trajectory. What we have to do is look to God. Look to the example of Jesus. And live out the Gospel our life. And if we follow Christ through suffering, then we can trust that we will be delivered in the hope of everlasting life in heaven. This morning you have never become a Christian, if you have never made the commitment to following Christ, and to becoming a disciple, there's going to be something that's required of you. You have to deny yourself. And you have to take up your cross. You have to choose the cross. Jesus chose the cross. He did so thinking of you and your sins. And He was willing to go and suffer and die. And if you will pick up your cross and follow after Him, being a faithful disciple of Jesus, there is hope of eternal life in heaven. You may have to choose some form of death, (laughs) but there's ultimately life at the end. There's a home in heaven with God and with our Savior Jesus Christ. If that doesn't appeal to you, then I don't know what would. But that's the Gospel. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And if you have never become a Christian, we want you to become a child of God. We want you to enjoy fellowship with Jesus Christ. We urge you to take up your cross, to follow Him, joining Christ in His baptism, in baptism, being united with Him in death. And you will be raised to enjoy newness of life. If I can Help you in some way, would you come stand as we sing?